Let's gather back in. It's so good to hear about everyone's Thanksgiving and the time with their families. This was such a a good holiday. We had beautiful weather. Couldn't ask for more. Yeah, we should always have a heart of Thanksgiving every day. Be nice that we can take those times throughout the year, not just set aside one day a year, but let's just keep that in mind. Let's uh, <laughs> every week, my husband says. <laughs> Hallelujah! Uh, we have some announcements, ladies. The Christmas party is this Saturday, December third at 11 a.m. That is going to be at the Demus House. Um, if you didn't get one of uh, these flyers, please see Sister Shepherd. Uh, has the details. Uh, bring a friend. Bring a Christmas ornament for an, a gift exchange game. And lunch is going to be provided. So we will see you there. Um, December 4th is the deadline for our Tupelo Children's Mansion gift cards. So have those in by next, this, next Sunday. And the deadline for Christmas for Christ is going to be December 18th. I believe that's all we have right now for announcements. Hallelujah. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, you know a little fire is burning. You find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, you'll know a little fire is burning. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Sometimes my past seems drear without a ray of cheer. And then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. The mist of sin may rise and hide the starry skies. But just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, know a little fire is burning. You'll find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears. But Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. 
I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, know a little fire is burning. You find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, you'll know a little fire is burning. You'll find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you, Lord, with every need, with every care. You are there, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, you hear our faintest cry. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You always answer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I heard an old, old story, how the Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And 
and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see about the cry dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit then somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me. With his redeeming blood, he loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, victory! Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I give you all the glory and all of the honor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power 
Praise God. We have a God that needs to be worshipped, that deserves to be worshipped. We are honored to do so today. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is worthy of all worship. He's worthy of all praise. He's worthy to receive all glory and all honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is the Almighty God. There is no one higher. There is no one greater than He is. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is my King. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. Thank you, Jesus, for your excellent loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus, for your long-suffering patience toward me. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are ever and altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise from me. Thank you, Jesus, for the covenant relationship you established Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice at Calvary in my place where you paid the just punishment of my sins yourself. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's an awesome, awesome God, church. He's worthy. He is altogether worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Not simply because of what He's done, but also because of who He is. He is inherently worthy to receive our worship and our praise because He is God and He is God alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We can delight ourselves in the God of our salvation. We can rejoice in Him because of what He has wrought in our lives. We gave Him useless things, and He created in us everlasting things. Amen. I don't know about your life before God, but I know what mine was. I gave Him useless things. And He wrought in me eternal things. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. That's where we'll get our Scripture text. Not so much the Scripture text as maybe a preamble to what we'll actually be talking about. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. We find Jesus teaching starts by saying this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, referring to hearing Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? Now, before you jump to conclusions on what this message might be about, hold on. Verse 5, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. We're going to be talking today, for the remainder of our time, on this subject, the prodigal's father. The prodigal's father. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God's blessings on our service today. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful to be in the presence of our Lord and God, our Creator and our Savior, our Redeemer, the lover of our soul. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to receive of you whatever it is you have in store for us. Help us, Lord, to receive it with joy and with gladness and with thanksgiving of heart, and to be doers and not hearers only of the Word of God, deceiving our own selves. Help us to apply everything that you tell us today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. In Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, we find the parable of the prodigal son. Now, we have all probably heard at least one message on the prodigal son. Uh, It's a very popular passage of Scripture to preach from. Uh, I have even started hearing in recent years sermons on the prodigal son's brother and how he uh, responded to this whole situation and, and lessons learned from there. I have yet to hear a message on the father. Uh, I'm sure there have been messages. I can't be the first. That's simply not possible. But uh, very few, if any, uh, on the father. And I want to kind of focus on him today. This is at parts probably going to sound like a Father's Day message. And uh, maybe maybe a, a Father's Day light. I don't know. But that's that's not my main intent. My main intent is to look at the prodigal's father as an example of who our Heavenly Father is, and try to draw some parallels there. This Father is perhaps one of, if not the best example of fatherhood that we have in Scripture. He was chosen by Jesus to illustrate in this parable Him, the Heavenly Father. Uh, He must then be an ideal earthly father to study. Admittedly, we don't read a whole lot about Him. Uh, except that he exists, he had two sons, uh, he had some money, some wealth, and um, I mean, there's just not a lot said about the father. The focus, of course, is on the prodigal. <clears throat> we see no mother mentioned in this parable, uh, and that could be because of uh, who this man is supposed to represent. And um, there is no... Mother of God, there is no uh, mother. The church is, is, is the bride. But uh, for what this parable is trying to represent, there is no mother present. This is an act of God and God alone. Amen. He was a father of two sons who were both prodigal for a time. The younger was prodigal in choosing the pleasures of sin. And perhaps his greatest uh, sin was the sin of youthful ignorance. I'm sure all of us 
Certainly, some, a lot of us men have been in that spot at one point or another, wanting to uh, separate ourselves a little bit and establish our own identity from uh, dad and from mom, go off and live our own lives, be our own people. Uh, I mean, there are, there are right ways to do that and wrong ways to do that, certainly, but I think that's, I think that's a desire in all young men uh, to a greater or lesser extent. And this young individual was no different. The older, the older maybe didn't feel the liberty to do that. He was the eldest, so he probably felt a responsibility to carry on the family business, as it were, uh, stay under dad and help him out with, with whatever it is they were doing. That is a trait typically of the eldest. Um, <clears throat> if you're into studying that stuff. But his... Uh, he was kind of prodigal too. His pride, his arrogance, his selfishness, uh, he, uh, he wasn't the best example either. We'll look at that a little bit as well. Because the father was who he was, the prodigal became what he should be. The younger son, although ignorant, and if I may say from hindsight, stupid in what he did. He responded properly, eventually. He came to himself. He came to a revelation of truth that this perhaps was not the best choice to make. And so he decided he was going to return to his father's house repentantly. He did the right thing. He ended up being in a good spot. Why was he able to do that? Well, let's look at what kind of father he had, shall we? We see in our passage of Scripture that he was an approachable father. Now, some of us, some of us maybe didn't feel like uh, our dads were very approachable. I didn't always feel that way. My dad was, he worked on the railroad. He was on call or he was gone for days at a time. And when he came home, he was hungry. He was tired. And there was a lot to do around the house. And, um, you know, I, I didn't give him a lot of credit back then. I was, I was a very angry young man uh, back then. But, uh, again, with the benefits of hindsight and a few months now of wisdom that uh, I've accumulated, I can see why he was tired and angry as much as he was. In any case, uh, I didn't feel like uh, there were too many opportunities to approach him on touchy subjects uh, because of that. There was always something to be done when he was home, and when he wasn't home, well, we didn't have cell phones back in the day, so he was on the road. And uh, not very approachable. This father was something different, though. The text gives some small details of their family history. If we look at uh, verses 12 through 16 of Luke 15, we read this. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. 
Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted a substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Again, no mother is mentioned. We just read the interaction between the younger son and the father. The text indicates that he had some measure of wealth. They had servants. He had an inheritance enough to divide his younger son's portion. And that was enough to provide a very lavish lifestyle. Uh, So there was a bit of money there to be had. We're introduced to this family. The younger is asking for his inheritance so he can go live his life in accordance to his wishes, his dreams, his hopes. And aren't we young and starry-eyed when we turn 18 and venture out into that great big wide world? We're going to conquer it. We're going to make it ours. That's right. And some of us realize sooner rather than later that that great big wide world is a little bit bigger than we originally thought it was. And it's a little bit more resistant to my ideas and the way I want to do things. And it's a little bit more interested in running things as it's always run it. Uh, And this world doesn't really seem to matter how I want things to be. So, uh, another hard lesson to learn for us young people. But the sooner you learn that, folks, young people in particular, the easier it's going to be for you. Uh, you can take that or leave it. I decided to leave it, and I learned, I learned it on my own anyway. So, you guys do whatever you want to do with it. <clears throat> in any case, we'll see you in a few years. <laughs> a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Amen. <clears throat> so, the young son had dreams, didn't he? He had some dreams. He wanted to live life to the fullest. Grab all the gusto you can. Have fun. Spend money. I can, and again, speculate on what the condition may have been. The father seemed like a righteous man. We don't hear that specifically, but he seems to be a a man of integrity, a man of morals, a man that that feared God. And uh, that didn't really take in the young son's life. Apparently, because when he had the money and when he moved off onto his own, we see what he did. We see some of the choices that he made, and they weren't exactly God-fearing choices, not exactly choices that would please Jesus. Amen. But that was his choice to make, and he made them in accordance with his desires, his dreams. He moved off into a far country, the, the Scripture says. What was that far country like? What prompted him to desire this other place, this other lifestyle? Did he chafe under the morals of dear old dad? Maybe. Kids do end up doing that. We're talking about him being approachable. The younger son felt comfortable coming to his dad. And saying, I want my inheritance. 
Divide to me my inheritance. He felt comfortable doing that. Now, maybe he was a little bit nervous. I don't know. Again, we can speculate. But at the end of the day, he, he did it. He didn't slip off in, in the middle of the night and run away with some of Dad's stuff. Uh, he didn't ask someone else. He didn't ask his older brother to go tell him. He didn't ask a favored servant to go talk to him first. He didn't do any of that. He felt free to just go right up and tell his dad. And I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. And we need to realize that as a representative of our Heavenly Father, He also is approachable. We can bring things to Him. He wants us to do that when something bothers us. You think He doesn't already know that something's bothering you? If you're angry about a decision God made or something God said, don't you think He knows that you're angry? You may as well just tell Him. You can approach God with those things. You can approach Him with how disappointed you are in this, that, or the other. How afraid you are about this possible outcome or, or uh, something I said might have offended this person or whatever it might be. I can think of a thousand scenarios off the top of my head. But you can bring those things to God. He wants you to do that. He wants you to approach Him with these things. He is a very approachable God. He is not some God that is distant or far off. This clock, clockwinder God that some people talk about. He wound up the universe. Created everything, set it in order, and now He just left. He's gone. Now everything just runs itself. That's not the God we serve, folks. You know, uh, a little bit of theology here for you guys. Uh, I don't know. Church history. Anyway, um, when the Greeks translated the first five books of the Bible into what we know today as the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the five books of Moses. Um, the translators did something a little bit hokey. Because uh, in the Greek culture of that day, their idea of deity was not the ancient Jewish idea of deity. Their idea of deity was distant, aloof, unmentionable. We don't mention their names. We don't. Uh, the, the gods are someone to avoid. You don't want to be noticed by the gods because if they notice you, then they're probably going to require things of you and they're going to do things to you you're not going to want. And so it's best just to stay under the radar. That was their idea of deity. So when they translated the Septuagint, that kind of slipped in there a little bit. The God of the Old Testament... I know, I know the God of the Old Testament's reputation is one of anger and jealousy and all that baloney. I mean, it's in there, but you're missing everything else. But that's the reputation he has anyway in the Old Testament. But one thing he was always is present. He was always present with his people. That was always his desire. That was the, the whole reason he instituted the plan of salvation in the first place. It's so that he could be present. He didn't care, or if he 
worse, didn't want to be present. He didn't have to do any of this. He didn't have to institute the blood sacrifice. He didn't have to institute ordinances so that he could be present with his people. None of that would have been necessary. But that was, his, that was always his desire. But the Greeks, see, they didn't, they didn't see it like that. Their idea was, don't speak the name of God. You don't speak the name of God. They, they substituted something else. I can't remember what the two words were. But they would never say, I think it was Yahweh. They would never say Yahweh. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. <clears throat> they substituted another name in there that you could say. That was never God's intention. He gave them His covenant name for a reason. They were to pronounce that name as a covenant blessing upon the people. God wanted that name spoken. But the Greeks, they didn't see it like that. So they got this idea of a distant God. An aloof God. An unmentionable, unnameable God. Folks, that's not who we serve at all. The God that we serve is very approachable. He's as close as the mention of His name. Amen. So whenever we're going through something, I don't care what you think of it. I don't care. I mean, yeah, we know some things that we think and, and feel is stupid. We understand that. But we're feeling it. We're thinking it anyway. Let's just give it to God. Let's just talk to God about it. I know this is dumb. I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. God, help me with this. No problem. God wants to do that. Let Him do that. Amen. Okay, so this far country, riotous living. It's, uh, it's almost a truism, I think. And again, looking, <laughs> looking back with the benefit of hindsight, uh, in... Things that I did when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, good grief. Wow. You got these great dreams. You got these, these grand ideas. And, and, and nothing wrong with that. Everything right with that. You should have dreams. You should have goals, ambitions. Not, absolutely. Dude, you, you need to be moving somewhere, folks. Definitely. Don't just sit there and wait for something to bump you. Move somewhere. I love the, the saying, God can't steer a parked car. <clears throat> if you're moving in a direction, he can, he can turn you the way He wants you to go. But if you're just sitting there, eh, not much you can do with that. So start moving somewhere. And then let God steer you where He wants you to go. But anyway, this young son, he had great ambitions. He had, uh, his ambitions were live fast, die young, I think. I think that was the ambition here. He's just going to spend a bunch of money and uh, get all of his friends together and just have a great time. One great big party. How awesome is that, right? Well, until, until money bags ran out. <clears throat> and then the friends ran out. Probably the same exact moment. <clears throat> no coincidence there. And then he got a taste of life outside of dad's roof. Now he's getting a taste of, i got to make this work now. I tell you what, you know, some, some people, and 
I think this is good. Some people, sometimes it's not either. When they move out of the house, mom and dad are always there with a safety net. So the kids, they're kind of off on their own, but they're not on their own. They can go do what they want, make dumb mistakes, and and mom and dad are going to pay for it. They're going to bail them out. I kind of disagree with that. Um, I think, I think first of all, we should try to teach our kids before they move out some of these things so that when they get out on their own, uh, they already know a little bit, at least, at least on paper, how life works. Um, yeah, they're still going to make mistakes. Okay. I still make mistakes, but, um, counsel with them, help them up. Well, this is, this is one option you can try. This is something you can do to get yourself out of it. Let's be an adult here. When my wife and I, I'm not going to give specifics, but I made some dumb choices when we were... (coughs) No smile, no nothing. Just stare. That's right, buddy. You did. (laughs) Just kidding. But there was no one to, there was no one to catch me. There was no one to catch us. We had to bail ourselves out. There was no net there. We fell all the way down. And we, we, we smacked on the bottom. And and we had to get ourselves back up with the help of God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we got some counsel, got some help, you know. But my point is this the prodigal son, there was no one there to bail him out. He ran out of cash. He ran out of friends. He's all on his own. That's life in the big city, folks. That's how life operates. When I lived with mom and dad, I went broke. It didn't really matter. Because I still, I still had supper waiting for me. I still had heat in the wintertime. Fans in the summer. We never had air conditioning. <clears throat> But, uh, I mean, life was still good. Had clothes, had a place to stay. Didn't have to worry about any of that. Just, I didn't have any spending money. Boo-hoo. <clears throat> After I moved out, there were a few more things to consider than just how much spending money I got to, to throw out there every month. Now I had to worry about, can I get a place to stay? I got to pay for that. I got to pay for the heat. It's nice. It's nice living under the roof of dad. Out there in the world, I don't have anybody. When I live for Jesus Christ, folks, when I'm under dad's roof, he takes care of everything for me. He's a, he's a great God. He provides everything that I need. When I stay under His roof and I abide by His rules, He takes care of things for me. If I leave Dad's house and go back out there again, now i got to worry about everything. I see what the better option is here. The better option is to stay under dad's roof. This young son, 
He dreamed of great things. Maybe freedom. He found temptation. He found bondage. Dreamed of adventure, perhaps. But instead he found agony. Instead of prestige, he found poverty. Maybe he was looking to find romance. Said he found heartache. He was looking for happiness. But instead he ended up feeding swine. The parallel here is obvious. If you're in church and you decide at some point to leave, that's your prerogative. That's your choice. No one's forcing you to be here. No one's forcing you to stay here. I highly encourage that you do. I encourage everybody to stay in church. Serve Jesus Christ with your life. But that's not my choice to make for you. I've made that choice for me. You've got to make that choice for you. If you make a different choice, that's your prerogative. But understand, the things you're looking for out there, you're not going to find. The things you're hoping to see out there, they're not there. You may see them off in the distance. Oh man, they have such a good time out there. Getting drunk and partying, doing drugs, sleeping around. Man, that looks fun. Maybe it is for a season. But I promise you folks, what you're really looking for isn't out there. That's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for a good time. You're not looking for a party. You're looking for quite a bit more than that. You're looking for peace. You're looking for something of substance, something real. Maybe you think it's not in here. Fair enough. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But I promise you it's not out there either. It's not. The father was approachable even from the pig pen. What was the child's reaction when he came to himself? I will arise and go to my father. That's what he thought of. That's the person he thought of. Now, dads, none of us are perfect. We didn't have perfect examples to begin with. There are no perfect fathers. There's one perfect father, the Heavenly Father. There are no perfect earthly fathers. Not you, not me, not anyone. Some of the things that I would do over if I could were some of the ways I raised my kids. I'll be honest with you. Some things you... You just don't know. Some things you learn too late. <clears throat> but in this young child's mind, this young man's mind, he thought enough of his dad. He respected his dad. Loved his dad. Enough that when he was in trouble, he knew where to go. He knew who to trust. 
I will arise and go to my father. A father in whose son's mind he was associated with heaven. Luke 15, 17 and 18 says, When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. The two were synonymous in his mind. When he thought of heaven, he was thinking of his dad. When he thought of his dad, he thought of heaven. I would to God that I could be that kind of dad. He could not be reminded of God without remembering his father as well. Obviously, his father was a man who walked with God. His father made some kind of spiritual impression on his son, so much so that even in this far country, he couldn't escape it. Thinking back in my own my own stint as a father, <clears throat> it certainly wasn't a perfect stint. But there were things that I did try to remain consistent on. Maintaining a consistent walk before our children, before our wives. Our Heavenly Father is, in everything, our perfect example. <clears throat> Where we fail, God succeeds. Where we fall short, God doesn't. He remains the perfect Heavenly Father. Who else was this Father? What other qualities did He have? He was affectionate. Now this... For a long time, certainly in the United States, was taboo for men to show emotion. Now, they could show anger all they wanted. That was okay. But if you ever saw a man cry, that just wasn't done. It just wasn't seen. This father was affectionate. Verse 20 says, He arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wow. Was there any doubt in the son's mind how his dad felt right now? Was there any doubt? I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what he's going to say. What is he thinking right now? I doubt that was going through his mind. This so-called manly trait of never showing emotion is only not, not only not scriptural, it's wrong. And I know a lot of us were raised like that. My dad was like that. He raised me like that. But it's wrong, folks. It's wrong. We're supposed to show emotion. We're supposed to show affection to our families. There shouldn't be any doubt in our, in our children's minds how we feel about them. 
should be no doubt at all. But most men know, as I said, the only emotion we feel comfortable showing is anger. And of course, that's what gets modeled to our sons. And as they grow up to their sons, they need to see us showing affection. They need to be on the receiving end of our affection. They need to know in no uncertain terms that they are loved, that they are accepted. They're individuals. You're not going to agree, especially as they grow up. You're not going to agree with everything they do and say. You won't. I don't. My kids know that. That's who I have a disagreement with. But they also know that even though I disagree with some choices they've made, I'm always going to love them. They always have a place here at the house. Whenever they want to come over, they're welcome. I'm always going to love them. Our Heavenly Father, folks, He is always going to love us. Now, He doesn't always agree with our choices. He doesn't always agree with the direction we choose to go. This father didn't agree with his son. But he let him go. And he accepted him back. This is how love looks. The father not only ran to meet him when he came up the road, he was sitting out there watching for him. He saw him a long ways off. He was looking down that road. His son returned. In the father's mind, the time away didn't matter. It made no difference. The smell of the swine on him made no difference. He still wrapped his arms around him, kissed his cheek, hugged him. The rags and the empty pockets, they made no difference to the father. His son had returned home. That's what mattered. That's what mattered. His father was assuring to both sons. Verse 21 starts by saying this, The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. As the story continues, the account continues, we see that his older brother heard the commotion, called the servant over. What's going on? Your son is, your brother has returned. What was the brother's reaction? He was angry. 
was mad. And he also felt liberty to go and approach his father about it. I've been with you all this time. I haven't so much as asked for a kid so I could go celebrate with my friends. And this guy comes back after spending your inheritance, and for him you kill the fatted calf. He tried to calm his son. He said, You're always with me. All that I have is yours. It's always been yours. Everything. This tells us something about God as well. Not only does He rejoice and is happy to see His children return, Those disgruntled and dissatisfied children that remain at the house. He has something to say to to them as well. I mentioned in our last service about how my wife and I would look at people outside of church just living like the devil. They get pregnant any time they want. We're doing our best to serve God and we can't have kids. How is that right? How is that fair? And we can, not necessarily in that situation, but there are many others that we could come up with, where we can start to get maybe a little bit dissatisfied with our present position in God. We can get a little bit discouraged, thinking that, and this is going to sound wrong to you when I say it, but we still think this way, that we deserve more. Look at all I've done. I've stayed here. I've been faithful the whole time. I haven't asked you for anything. What do I get? Where's mine? We do think like that from time to time. Not always overtly. But it gets in our spirit, folks. It can get in our spirit. And Jesus is saying, what do you mean? I've given you everything. Everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. Everything. All of the resources of heaven are at our disposal. Whenever we have a need, God runs to meet it. We have that promise. We don't have to be jealous or upset or envious or any such thing. People leave church. They live out, live like the devil for five, ten years. They come back, they have an amazing experience of repentance. They get right with God. And God calls them, and God starts using them mightily. And we can start thinking, 
well, that's great. That's, that's awesome. But what about me? What, what are you doing with me? Approach God with that. Let Him tell you what about you. I promise you He has an answer for that. Let God tell you what about you. Because just as sure as I'm standing here, folks, you, as an individual, you are the apple of His eye. You are His concern. You are who He thought about when He hung on Calvary. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't put you in a corner to be used later. He's working with you right now. Maybe in a season of preparation. Maybe in a winter season. But His eye is on you. And He has great plans for you. And He wants to use you. And to that end, all of His resources are available. This Father demonstrated patience, demonstrated mercy. I doubt He agreed with either position. But He helped them understand. He helped the kids understand what was true. This is the situation. When people come to us and they wrong us, they disagree with us, they, uh, I don't know, Whatever it might be. We can't take it personal. The the go-to reaction for a lot of us is to take it personal. They're attacking me. They disagree with me. But, uh, you know, just statistically speaking... That is almost never the case. Almost never. Now, see, the thing is, the person that did or said that to you, they're dealing with something. They had something on their minds. You just happened to be there at the time. That was it. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with them. As soon as I came to that realization, that was quite a bit liberating. Thank you very much. This isn't about me. No, it it could be. But almost never. Almost never. Conversely, when I've wronged someone... Now, I want, I want to see that person showing mercy 
and forgiveness. Because we're brothers, we're sisters. You've got to show me the love of Jesus. You've got to forgive me like Jesus forgave you. I'm okay quoting Scripture now. But if I have to forgive someone, that's a little bit different sometimes, isn't it? That goes both ways, folks. Both ways. If I'm expecting mercy from you, I need to show mercy to you as well. Is that, is that fair? Does that make sense? I think it's fair. Understand that our failures cannot move us away from God's love for us unless we allow it to. God will continue to love you. Now, I'm not saying that, that you can keep living like that and go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But God is always going to love you. He's always going to be reaching. Despite your choices. If He disagrees with your life choices, He's still going to love you. All the way through. We cannot escape that. God will always love you, no matter what choices you make, no matter what you do with your life or don't do. Now, He may not agree with your choices. You may be living in direct rebellion to His commandments. He will love you. And He will respect your decision, even though He knows exactly where you're headed. People don't go to hell because God's angry. People don't go to hell because God's going to get even with you now. No, people go to hell because that's where they choose to go. They chose that. They didn't want to serve Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with with His people, His work. Why would you want something to do with Him now? But He will always love you. You will never escape that. God hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. But He loves people. He loves you enough to hang on a cross and die for you. So our failures can't move us away from God's love. We can become convinced of that, though, and move away ourselves. But it's not God walking away from us. It's us walking away from God. Don't ever forget that. When we find ourselves in a far country, all we have to do is decide right then and there to return. That's it. That is, it is literally as simple as that. One decision. One choice. I will arise and go to my Father. That's it. He's waiting. Those that have left, He's waiting for you to return. God is in all things our perfect example. 
In this parable, we see an example of godly fatherhood, of God Himself, the pride and selfishness in both brothers, uh, the younger son's complete failure, and his equally complete repentance, and the father's response to his son's return. Whatever example we did or didn't have of fatherhood, whatever kind of a father we were or weren't, we have our Heavenly Father as a perfect example. He is the perfect Father. And no matter what we did or didn't do as fathers, we can make a choice today to move closer. To move closer to that example. Now, there's got to be at least one person here thinking right now, it's too late. It's too late. And I would say to you, sir, I respectfully disagree. I don't think it's ever too late. We can change. We can grow. We can allow God to transform us, to become different people, to become Christ-like. We can. I hear all the time about what Christians cannot do. And to speak freely, I'm quite sick and tired of it. Thank you. I'd rather focus on what us Christians can do. What we can do is we can learn, all of us, We can dedicate ourselves to allowing God to perfect us, to transform us into Christ-likeness. I don't care if you're three years old or 300 years old. If you're breathing, then we have an opportunity here today to allow God to move us a little bit closer to the way He is. Disciple means discipline. If we are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm getting off topic here, but we just experienced Thanksgiving. we got a few more minutes. We need to discipline ourselves, folks. Who here believes, just by way of example, who here thinks right now, in one year, I could learn a new language. How many, how many believe that? Sure, why not? I get a lot of that. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Who cares? Right? Hypothetical. No, you don't. You don't believe that. Respectfully. Lovingly. But you don't believe that. You know how I know? 
because I've listened to you guys. <clears throat> I've listened to a lot of you. There are people coming up from Guatemala, Mexico, uneducated, dirt farmers, who are able to learn English. Why? I would submit, well, okay, yeah, those, those that choose to come up here, <clears throat> I guess they all choose to come up here, but even, even, uh, even in the 1800s, German immigrants, uh, Scandinavian immigrants, they dedicated themselves to learn English. Uneducated, average people, not by any means people that you would consider highly intelligent. They were able to very quickly pick up enough of the language to use it. My point is this. We can do anything we want to do if the motivation is sufficient to do so. How much motivation do we have to become Christ-like? I think for a lot of us, the answer is, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure, why not? Maybe, maybe not. Because there's no motivation to do so. I'm comfortable right here. This is good. You know, I've heard people say, I've heard pastors say that, uh, you know, if God would let me, I would just sit in a church, sit on a pew, and I'd be that person's best saint. I'd be their best saint. I'd pay my tithes and offerings. I'd cheer the pastor on. He wouldn't hear a peep out of me. You know what I'm talking about, Sister Bell. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that's tempting sometimes. That's tempting sometimes. Because uh, it's easy. It's comfortable. I'm not responsible for anything now. The overarching point in all of this is that we have a responsibility, folks. We have a responsibility to God. God suffered on a cross and He died for us. We're going to hear about this topic all next year. This is the theme for next year. Spoiler alert. More on that later. Being, not doing. Becoming, not doing. We are going to focus on becoming. But to do that, I need your buy-in. Because again, this is between you and God. I cannot force you, even at gunpoint, to grow in God. I mean, that seems silly on all kinds of levels. <clears throat> There's nothing I can do or say to force you. You have to want to. You have to purpose in your heart, 
I want to be Christ-like. I want to move forward in God's plan. I want to submit myself to His process, whatever that might be. And that is going to require discipline. That is going to require sacrifice. If some of us decided, I want to go back to school right now, get a degree. If, if you did that, and you could definitely do that, any one of us here could do that if we wanted to. But that would require a little bit of discipline, wouldn't it? A little bit of sacrifice. I'm going to have to set aside some time for study. Online lessons, maybe. Drive to a brick and mortar. I'm going to have to do the lessons, do the reading. Type up the essays, whatever it might be. Versus whatever I would have done if I'm not going to school. But in four years, with dedication and commitment, you got a degree. Versus the other person in four years, exactly where he was four years ago. In education, nobody wants people to stagnate. We don't. I don't want to see my kids stagnate. I want to see them excel. In spiritual concerns, I don't want to see any one of us stagnate. I want to see us move forward. Keep moving forward. Wherever we're at right now, I thank God for that. Because we're farther now than we were before. But we can't stay here either. Just like we couldn't stay there. We've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep learning. We've got to keep growing. We've got to keep becoming what God wants us to be. And that's going to require us to dedicate some time, some effort, some energy toward that end. Discipline ourselves. Discipline is a good thing, folks. It's good. It's good to have discipline in our lives. I discipline myself, and a lot of you guys do too, to pray every day. Read my Bible every day. Whether I want to or not, that's not even a concern. I just do it. I've disciplined myself to do that. Those of us that have jobs or had jobs at one point, we had to discipline ourselves to get up every morning. Whether we wanted to or not. Just got to do it. So there's nothing wrong with discipline. How bad do we want it? How bad do I want to be like Jesus? How bad do I want to be Christ-like? What am I willing to do? What am I willing to pay? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to sacrifice to obtain that goal? Those are questions that we're going to be answering next year. I pray together. Let's all stand. That was way off in left field. Let's all come to the front. Amen.